Welcome to the Healthcare Plus podcast, hosted by Quint Studer and Dan Collard. In each high-impact segment, Quint and Dan bring together leaders and changemakers from across healthcare to discuss the latest industry insights, offer solutions to some of healthcare's greatest challenges, and provide replenishment and well-being tools that will refill your emotional bank account. With a focus on practical tools, techniques, and best practices, you'll walk away from each episode with ideas you can implement in your own role, organization, and community. I'm Nicole Webb-Bodie, partner at Healthcare Plus Solutions Group. Quint Studer and Dan Collard, your hosts, co-founded Healthcare Plus Solutions Group with the mission of having a positive impact on those that receive care and those that provide care. HPSG specializes in delivering customized solutions that build and develop skills to help healthcare organizations achieve and sustain high performance. Quint is a well-known author, operator, coach, and mentor to many. He has dedicated his life to creating tools and techniques that make healthcare a better place for physicians to practice medicine, patients to receive care, and employees to work. Dan is a seasoned executive with a passion for improving healthcare and leading organizations through change. From rural hospitals to complex health systems and academic medical centers, Dan has helped organizations across the industry attain best-in-class performance. For more information about your host and our upcoming events, visit healthcareplussg.com. And now, please welcome today's guest. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Healthcare Plus podcast. Uh, you know, when people ask us what we've been doing in the last year and a half, where we've been paying most of our attention, I said, you know, in reality, and really by design, about 85 to 90 percent in the people area. And the people area uh, gives us that opportunity to help organizations meet the headwinds, meet the the uh, the challenges in the industry, really head on where, where they need to be. And, and so, Quinn, I, I wanted to spend some time today talking about how we've sort of framed up some of the work that we do in, in the people area. Well, thanks, Dan. I, I think what happened was it sort of there were pieces of it or components of what we call the human ecosystem before we called it the human ecosystem. And out and about, what we would find is there were spots like mental health was an issue. Or, wow, coworkers, uh, we got so many new coworkers, or when can we hold people accountable again? So many new supervisors. Um, what we found out really fascinating was the number of people that would accept a job and not show up. And so, wow, that looks at a selection and onboarding differently. And so we we're doing pieces of it and components of it. And I think we all, two things came together. Number one is, um, through my not-for-profit student community institute, we've gotten to know people in Bentonville, Arkansas, and they've really worked on what they call an entrepreneurial ecosystem. And I was there on another reason, more of a community reach out. And as they talked about ecosystems, I got so educated. And it's, of course, how everything works together, the impact of everything. We've always known that. And we probably just, the term just stuck with me, ecosystem, how it all connects. And then I was speaking in Texas, and the speaker in front of me, I would have said the same thing years ago, just said, people don't leave their job, they leave their boss. And, you know, at one time, all these heads would have went up and down and nodding. And this was a large group of middle leaders. And you could just tell they were questioning, is that a true statement? Because, see, they're in the field. And I think maybe five, six, seven, eight years ago, yeah, maybe that was the predominant reason people left, did not then leave their job, they left their boss. But the pandemic's changed that. 
And, and people leave for all sorts of reasons. They leave for financial reasons. Um, I know a nurse that left because her children were really struggling with the virtual education. I've known people that have quit because of their own illnesses or, a, you know, spouses or partners' illness. I've known people that left because of grand, you know, parents or parents. I've known all sorts of reasons why people have quit that have nothing to do with their boss. They might love their boss. So lunch came and I got up and it just hit me and I said, I think people are leaving for a lot of other reasons besides their boss. And you can almost say the middle managers almost wanted to say, hallelujah, amen. Somebody gets this stuff because they feel terrible. And they know that that the hospital or the health systems struggles financially. And they know that agency, while these are competent, good people travel that come in, they still know it's harder on teamwork, harder on, you know, moving patients in a seamless way because they're new to it. And um, they don't want people to quit. They don't want people to leave and to feel that they're responsible for it really was overwhelming. And when you talk about replenishing people, this was the opposite So here we're trying to hold on to these managers, yet they start feeling terrible. So I think we threw them a lifeline. And I came back to Pensacola and I I love a whiteboard. If you've ever been with me, I have to stand up and start drawing. And I started just listing all the components that make up a human ecosystem. And, you know, there's tons of them, but I don't want to make it so complex that no one can understand it or execute it. So as we come, what's the middle of an ecosystem? So what what is the center point, the true north? And of course, we we say employee engagement. But Dan, you know, I've been using this word belonging, which is now a hot topic, hot word. It's belongings everywhere for a long time. So in the middle of the ecosystem is that sense of belonging, that people feel this is the place for me I want to belong. So that's the core of it. But then as we go around it, where does it start? Well, of course, it starts with selection and onboarding. So uh, do we need to rewire how we select and onboard? Because if people are taking a job and not showing up, that's a little unusual, way more than ever before. Departures. We know in talking to our friends at Airmark Healthcare Plus, which have changed their onboarding considerably now, is that people sometimes, um, we can't wait for 30 days or 90 days, that people are gone before that. So is there a different way to onboard? And then you add the fact that precepting and mentorship is prevalent in healthcare, both so many new people. As my good friend Katie Boston Leary says, we got to be careful our mentors aren't tormentors. So how do we handle the onboarding? Next, what's the vital thing is, of course, the supervisor, but not the way we've always looked upon it, not that immense pressure that it's the supervisor because people don't leave their job, they leave their boss. This is saying, do the supervisors feel supported? We know with our study that we recently funded um, in collaboration with the ANA and the AONL um, with Insights, Jocelyn Insights, that almost 90% of managers want more skill development, want skill development, yet only 60% really think they're getting it. And it's maybe even less than that. So with all these new managers, Dan, you discovered this. I just was on a call with the CEO of a hospital, and I asked him, Gee, do you know how many new managers you have that have started since pandemic? Because they've missed out on training, on peer conversations. 
I said, because we've been finding it's 20 to 25% and then maybe another 20% new in the job. And like everyone, they said, I don't think ours is that high, but then it will be somewhere close. It's just, we've done this enough in our diagnosing, it'll be close. So the key is, do supervisors feel they're getting the support that they need to be successful? Because they're carrying, they're doing a lot of heavy lifting. Next is that whole coworker piece. Okay, so, you know, it's my coworker. Do I have good teamwork? Do I have good responsibility? Are they being onboarded right? Um, are we maybe, have we lowered the bar? So again, you and I are out and about a lot. When I say, do you think we hired somebody during the pandemic we might not have hired before? People say yes. Do you think we've held on to people we might not held on to? Yes. So how do we go back and sort of re-engineer or rewire this? Then as we go around, and again, it doesn't have to be in order, only selection and onboarding. So we've done three of the components now, selection and onboarding, we've done supervision, and we've done coworker. And next, I think, is where really found is the key component, and that is skill and career development. And what we find is with all these new people, we have to look at things differently. And what we have found, Dan, is precision leadership development. Again, I was talking to a physician this morning who's also in administration. And everybody sees the tremendous gains that precision medicine is making and taking care of people, um, saving lives, adding to lives, because we just don't treat every patient the same. We go in and we take pathology. We do biomarkers for prevention. And we individualized treatment plans. And what we found, Dan, and you and I have been involved in this, is we're not saying you shouldn't do your big town hall trainings. You shouldn't do department changings. You shouldn't have a department that's doing training. But I think we got to drill it down to the individual. It's called N equals one. So we've got into, and you're going to talk about this as we talk about the assessment tool. How do you assess every leader? And then knowing a little bit about them, their own pathology per se. How's their self-awareness? How's their readiness for change? How's their learning style? So if we do those things, now we diagnose the individual leader. Now we can create a skill development plan for them. And we call it one skill at a time. Because we can't take all these new leaders and just fire hose them into training and development. They just walk out devastated. So some people use the word simple. I don't because I think if people think, some people think simple means easy. I use the word, how can we be narrow the scope? How can we narrow the scope? Or how can we do fewer things with better results? So we really have, I think, gotten sophisticated in training and development. And then let's face it, if we do that well, the other components work. So what are the last two components? Certainly where we started this four years ago when presented at a first conference before the pandemic, but it was sort of coming. And I talked about mental health and well-being, and we created our well-being toolkit. We created our well-being rating system, all those things, um, because we also really have to realize that self-care is not something that comes naturally. You know, we treat our phone better than we treat ourselves, is what I like to say. What do you think gets treated better, your phone or your body? Most of us treat our phone. We plug it in. We protect it from heat. We decorate it the whole bit. And the last part, I think if you do these other five, the sixth one is sort of a natural. And that's just, are we efficient? Because we still know that people, if you look at the latest research, 
um, Catherine Meese and I have a book coming out with American College of Healthcare Executives called The Human Margin, The Foundation of Trust. Trust really sort of connects to, is this place efficient and effective? Do I trust this organization to make sure I have the tools to do the job? Um, are the ORs going to start on time? Are the procedure going to start on time? So I think we're looking at really how well is the place being run? And if we actually do these other five things, that one is sort of a natural. But coming back to looking at some of the dashboards and the metrics to utilize for efficiency. So that's the ecosystem. And then after we got done, we said, well, now, how can we help an organization in a less way, a fewer way, um, do a quick self-awareness themselves? How are these in these areas? And Dan, that's where you created uh, which is actually in the new book, the Human Margin book, is is the tool that we actually use to help organizations assess themselves. So I'm going to now, that's sort of how it got created, where it's at. And Dan, you can then hopefully with the listeners talk about ways to diagnose how you're doing in creating a right place for people to work. You know, it's been fun watching how this has evolved because we this really became two levels of assessment. We'll talk about the human capital ecosystem assessment, but when you got down to that part about the uh, the skill building and career development, that's sort of taken on a, a life of its own with precision leader development. The, the thing that I noticed right off the bat, as you observed the, the old adage of people don't leave their job, they leave their boss, in all likelihood not being nearly as true as it used to be. What I find is when we get to have these conversations, it really serves as a lightning of the load of the middle leaders, or as I like to say, taking rocks out of a middle leader's backpack and, and just making the day better for a, for a middle leader. Uh, as we looked at the assessment, what I also really in the first couple that we did, what, what became apparent is this also helped uh, folks avoid the full plate syndrome. You know, in healthcare, we've never met an initiative that we don't want to take on. And so the assessment approach allowed for some really good prioritization. So let's don't take on every element of the ecosystem that you just walked through. And when organizations and leadership teams get prioritization right, that allows them to focus. And when they get focus, they get clarity. And we all know how important clarity is. Uh, we also hear folks say, you know, we want to make quantum leaps back to perhaps where we were before or to that next level. And you mentioned trust which I think is connected right where you began to that sense of belonging. Belonging really is a, is a byproduct of trust. I, I was hearing a, I was listening to a presentation to a commencement uh, or a, a commencement crowd by the new director of the CDC. And uh, Dr. Cohen said something interesting. She said, change happens at the pace of trust. So this is also uh, sort of the fuel for change management or change leadership. So we created an assessment all around the ecosystem. And like you said, it doesn't necessarily have to go clockwise or counterclockwise. But when folks see the illustration of the ecosystem, they see that every single element is connected to every other single element in the ecosystem. What we wanted to do was also capture the voice of the leaders one of the ways to to really help the middle managers truly feel like they belong, uh, as as we talked about, is is to capture their voice. 
And so the assessment allows for the input from the entire leadership team, not just the senior leadership team. And where we've landed so far, and I think this is going to be a living, breathing assessment that's going to continue to evolve, but where we've landed so far is just really two questions for each of these elements, selecting and onboarding, the supervisory relationship, the coworker relationship. We sort of start with two questions, and I'll go a little deeper uh, on the element that we call skill building and career development. But then two questions around resources and support, some of those mental health issues you just referenced there. And then finally, a couple of questions around operational efficiency. What we found that is as organizations take this assessment, and we've done 25-bed critical access hospitals. We've done much larger organizations across the industry. What we found is that the actual numbers, the actual scores aren't nearly as important as what we would call the spread or the distribution. Uh, I, I remember doing an early assessment where the CEO actually began by saying, you know, I think we're we're pretty aligned in this category. And then when he saw the results, he realized this was such a great opportunity because his middle managers were telling him, look, we've got some variance in the organization. And he was so appreciative of being able to see that as an illustration of the assessment. So when we do this assessment, we take each of the, the categories that you walked through. We have folks answer on a scale of one to 10. So you can get that nice widespread. Uh, and you might look at, at it initially as perhaps a net promoter scale. You might look at it as just, well, let's take an average but what we found is that the real value is looking at the, the distribution of the responses there. And then our chance to ask why. Inevitably, what we also find is by virtue of the way that the leaders answer the assessment, it gives the senior team typically two to three out of the six that allows them to begin to prioritize, really begin to create that focus. And, and the clarity piece, you know, I've heard you say so many times that uh, clarity is so key. I've heard you quote the Heath brothers out of the book Switch, but it's it's interesting to sort of watch the clarity happen with the with the senior team. It also reminds me of a phrase that I probably wrote down the first time I ever heard you speak. The answers are always closest to the owners. The ability for these assessments, not to just be the senior team's view of the organization, but folks all the way down to that, that supervisory level. So that, that's the assessment that we began with, with the ecosystem. The, the place that we really have had an opportunity to go much deeper is down in the skill building and career development. And I thought maybe I'd ask you to take a couple of seconds to go one layer deeper as to how this went from just skill building and career development down to what we're now calling precision development. And, you know, it's kind of ironic as, as you were walking through the ecosystem, I actually got a text from a dear friend who your friend, Marsha Horn, has helped. And as you were talking about precision medicine, it just hit home even closer because not only did they get into the Mayo organization, they actually got sent to Mayo Phoenix because that's where the one physician that specializes in this particular kind of brain cancer is doing the very best work. And so even the place you go plays a role in precision medicine. But you want to walk for a couple seconds through the whole precision medicine to precision leadership idea, Quint? 
And going to precision, precision leadership, you know, I've always been a huge believer in training and development. If you read any of my books, my first book talks about, you can tell the values of an organization and how much they invest in training and development. So this isn't new kid on the block stuff. This has been there for a long, long time because the impact it had on my life when Mark Clement of Tri Health, and we were both at Holy Cross and he brought in Clay Sherman, who had written the book, The New American Hospital. And we all went through two days of training every 90 days. And he's the one that introduced the pillars into healthcare. He's the one that truly, I think, coined the term LDI. I'm not sure, but I think it came from him. Um, and so I've always really saw the impact that training and development has had on people. So I've always been a big believer in it. We do a lot of it. And then what happened about 18 months ago when I got diagnosed with melanoma, I was introduced to Marsha Horn. Marsha Horn is a tremendously wonderful person who runs a not-for-profit called ICAN, I-C-A-N. And Vaughn Lopez actually introduced me to her from Modern Healthcare at the time. And, you know, Vaughn, the one thing Marsha said is when they do the surgery to take out the, the tumors, make sure they get enough tissue because we got to study the tissue. She said, oh, sadly, sometimes they don't get enough tissue when they do the, the surgery. So we got enough tissue and set it away and it came back and it basically showed certain biomarkers that I wish I didn't have. I think it's BF 600, BF something, 600E or something, and um, which changed the treatment plan. So my, my biomarker, my mutations changed the treatment plan. So um, in the past, they would have just said, well, we think we got it all. Let's hope it doesn't come back. When my mutation came out, it said it's 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 probably going to come back. So we're going to have to do some treatment stuff to do everything we can to prevent it from coming back, or at least get it when it comes back quickly. In fact, I leave this um, taping due to a PET scan. That's where I'm going right after here. So I looked at it, and and years ago, when I was up in Minnesota early on, some they were introducing evidence based medicine. And I sat there and said, whoa, there's probably a lot of evidence on leadership. And that's where we came up with evidence-based leadership. Well, as evidence-based medicine has evolved to precision medicine, I think evidence-based leadership had to evolve into precision leadership development. And it's been so well-received. It's just been like ha-has, eye-openers for people. In fact, I remember sitting with a CO and afterwards he changed their training and development by that afternoon. It changed. And, and what we find is you, you basically start with what are the skills that that leader needs in the job they currently have. Got this from Harvard when I was on their curriculum committee. And then you say, well, how good are these skills? So you have a self-awareness tool that you basically say on a one through 10 where I'm at. And then you're one up. Your supervisor does it, too, because you want to make this collaborative. You know, healthcare, Airmark Healthcare Plus we just did it with all their leaders, and it's pretty cool. The, the person evaluated themselves, their manager evaluated themselves, and then they get together. But the real magic is when you put the current results into where they feel. So I might feel I'm really good at selection and onboarding, but what if my 90-day turnover is really high? Or I might think I'm not good at selection and onboarding, but what if my, nine, what if my turnover is really low? Also, it helps prioritize if I don't have a lot of employees, Maybe I don't need to be experts in training and development. And then we started adding things like, how does a person learn? So for example, with my hearing impairment, 
I learn best by watching. So I've been doing this tapping therapy, and I learned it by watching YouTubes on tapping therapy. Somebody could explain it to me. I could have read it, but I'm one that has to see it being done. Some people have to do it. Some people do better reading and studying. So we all have different styles. That's that N equals one that Marcia talks about. Then we want to talk about what's your behavioral process, where are you at? So for example, we have tools like managing by strengths. We have tools like the DISC, which really helps say, well, am I a pace-oriented person? Am I more of a people-oriented person? Am I a outcome-oriented person? I'm a more structure-oriented person. We're all pieces of everyone, but some are more significant than others. So I'm an outcome-oriented person. I always talk about the fact that when my wife and I pull up to the grocery store, I'm out of the car, ready to lock it, and I'm walking toward that grocery store. She's a pace-oriented person. Just because I'm jumping out of the car like it's a pit stop at a NASCAR, she doesn't need to do that. So when I go to lock the car, she's a real pace-oriented person. Not wrong or right, but we need to know that. Some people are way structured-oriented. So we find when people start knowing that no one's wrong or right, we're just all human beings, individuals trying to work together, we now know style. So. You know, people can look at the MBS managing by strengths and say, ah, I'm going to go talk with Quint. He likes to get right to the point quick. So I should get right there. Well, maybe I'm going to go work with somebody and I pull their profile up and they said relationships is really important. to them. Start off asking questions about their family. So I need we need to know these things. <clears throat> and then and then we're really working with an industrial psychologist, Dr. Chris Riley to really put in some other tools like, are they a good critical thinker or not? Now, you don't need all these to start, but it really is sort of neat. People get to know themselves better. And then we look at their skill building. And so what we look at is most organizations have a lot of resources already in their organization, but we say, what's the number one outcome you'd like this person to improve upon? So an example, um, any nurse manager who started in the last three years has probably had a different scheduling than if they would start it 10 years ago. Usually the schedule was get people in here. So we, we they brought in a lot of overtime, a lot of travelers. Now the message is, whoa, we're financially in big trouble here. We need to reduce the use of travelers. Well, we did a survey of what nurse managers, the skill that was the most important to them, and it wasn't rewarding and recognition. It wasn't rounding. It wasn't keywords. These are all important. But you know what? It's keeping them up at night. Scheduling. So all of a sudden, scheduling became paramount. How to understand how the financial tools, there's three financial software tools that I need to learn. So we created something called an OSAR. And it stands for what's the outcome. So in this situation, the outcome would be to get our labor cost to align with budget. That's the outcome. What skill do I need? Scheduling. I need scheduling. What actions? That's the A. So it's outcome, skill, action. Action is what steps am I going to take to learn the skill? So it's not what action am I going to take to schedule. It's to learn the skill. Because if I learn the skill, I get the outcome. And we find that it's connecting you with experienced managers who have scheduling down. 
It's making sure your supervisor and you every week until they feel comfortable, go through the schedule as you're doing it so you can see how they're thinking and giving them some tips. Um, it could be something on the learning management system, a toolkit that the, the system has available and tips on scheduling. And if we find, Dan, most of these organizations have resources, but some don't. So it tells you where you need to fill the gap. So the A is action and the R is what resources are you going to use? So the resources could be books, they could use videos, they could use mentors. But one of the things we find is organizations that are not achieving outcome because of their blessed heart they have keep throwing more resources at it, like books and me, speakers, and things like that. And what we find is we need a quality. So the other thing we want to put in is like a rotten tomato is almost, was this tool helpful to you? Was this course helpful to you? Was this book helpful to you? So you can define quality. And we find when a person knows that I now, I don't have to learn 12 things. I need to learn this skill. Yeah, I'm going to pick up other skills. I'm not not going to, but this is the primary skill that I'm going to pick up. And it also really makes sure that their boss is involved because their boss is involved, because it's a collaborative process. So I know, Dan, when I meet with you, I'm going to bring my OSAR, and we're going to continue to go through it. And are you picking up the skills, or do you need to make changes? Then if we achieve the outcome, we can move to another, another outcome and another skill. And it's not saying you can't put two outcomes on there, but we find if you learn certain skills, they all of a sudden will impact three, four, five outcomes. If rounding on employees is vital, we find if we can really teach you the skill, we're rewiring rounding to make it doable. It'll probably help you in retention besides employee engagement, building trust, and being patient experience. So that's how it is. And it's eye-opening. I was talking to a physician who's the CEO of a hospital that we're, I'm going to go speak at here in, I think, November. Or October and um, man, you could just see his his physician eyes rolling and his brain moving. Ah, diagnose! I diagnose patients. I need to diagnose um, the skill set of a person. And what we really want to do is retain talent. In fact, the other thing that we're doing is recommending for certain people a personal retention plan. Because again, we have to individualize this. So I know I went way down the rabbit hole, but that's, that's the story. Now, this is great because it, it really is where the original ecosystem assessment led us. And, and the deeper that we got over onto the precision leader development um, platform, the more that we knew that it needed to, again, begin with diagnosis, begin with assessment. You did a great job walking through that. You know, what's been interesting, a couple of learnings from the field as we've really gotten out in traffic. You talked a while ago about one of the outcomes of the assessment is it creates really healthy, really solid conversations between me and my one up. We've used the phrase that all the leaders in an organization essentially become chief development officers. Uh, it, it's not just on the shoulders of HR. It's not just on the shoulders of organizational development, but, but leaders themselves. One of the organizations that we first did this precision leader development, leader skill assessment with 
one of the very first responses I got from the CEO about three weeks after the LDI, where we rolled their results out. So each of the leaders and their one-ups had taken the assessment. We gave them ample opportunity at the LDI to begin having the conversations. I sort of saw myself here. My leaders saw me here or here. And, and what does that create with you know, that kind of conversation. The CEO came back about three weeks later and he said, you know, what's abundantly clear is that one of the things that we let go during the pandemic were these regular one-on-one conversations that weren't just solving the crisis of the day or, or trying to figure out why we're off budget, but conversations that really centered around development. One of the very best examples was a, a new young leader who had rated himself pretty darn high all the way across each of the questions. And his one-up leader didn't rate him quite so high. Now, a little bit of background, that leader had only been with the organization for three months. So the leader, his one-up leader was being very honest. He said, you know, I haven't had enough time to, to really get to know you and get a sense of where you are. This is sort of where I think I am. But the the one image, the one slide that he came back to, because we had just showed it before we had these conversations, was the whole notion of self-awareness and coachability. He said, you know, that was one of the most healthy conversations I've ever had with a boss. And I just appreciated the boss's feedback to me there. So if nothing else, we're, we're sort of bringing back one of those elements that probably many organizations did a pretty decent job prior to the pandemic and the the monthly one-on-ones. But now, really, they're more than monthly one-on-ones. They're monthly development conversations. And when we think about retaining talent, when we think about organizations that have the best middle management teams are the ones that are winning, this has become clearly one one of the avenues to get there. And, And it's sort of neat how one thing led to another, which is almost always the case in our world. Yeah, and I think it gets back to why we exist anyway, is to just help people find the joy again of what they do. And and leadership is hard, but it shouldn't be painful. And there's a difference between something being hard and something being painful. And I think, you know, when I, I look at what we want to do is we want to bring joy into the lives of everyone in healthcare that works in it. And I am, again, doing a couple presentations. And one of the things I wrote was, you know, the public view us much better than we view ourselves sometimes. The public really appreciate in general healthcare and nurses and doctors and phlebotomists and sonographers. And they, they really do. And they they have, you know, we can talk the negative, but in general, it's always a very respected profession. But we're so hard on ourselves. I got asked the other day once again, you know, what's the one piece of advice you would give somebody in healthcare? I said, be kind to yourself. You know, let the positive in. Do better self-messaging because it's just so easy to look at what's wrong instead of the real, the positive aspects of healthcare. You know, when we do our workshops, we always have them do some replenishing and they just get replenished just by talking about why they're in healthcare and why they work at where they work. So it's a lot of fun. And I appreciate the end of this podcast. And I, I think it's an important one and hopefully we'll get a lot of listeners. And, um, you know, I'm excited. I got this new book called Sundays with Quint which I think is a perfect book for anyone in leadership, but particularly people early leadership, because it's 52 different chapters on different aspects of being a leader. And I did a workshop yesterday and everybody had to come in and pick a chapter and report on a chapter they picked. And it was pretty neat because 
probably actually the most popular chapter is what do you do with a full plate? That was one of them. But there were also how to delegate. And it was just neat because that's individualizing it again. We have all these people in a room, but instead of saying, everybody read this chapter, we say, pick the chapter that's going to resonate with you right now. And in general, we most of them picked a unique chapter based on their personality, their skill set, and their job. I was reading through it again the other day, and it just sort of hit me that every time I read one of the chapters, it almost brings me back to when when you wrote that, where I was at that particular time, and, and it almost takes you back to that moment in time. If you'd like to see more about the new book, Sundays with Quint, you can come to our website, healthcareplussg.com, and, and go to the resources section there, and, and you can find more information. So, Quint, as always, you know, one of the things that I think everyone in the industry appreciates uh, appreciates about you is that you can take an idea that normally would be a, a pretty darn complex idea and break it down into bite-sized chunks, easy to digest sorts of chunks. It began with the ecosystem. And, and now, of course, we've taken it one step deeper. And, and it's not like you have to have a, a PhD in organizational development, this approach towards precision leader development. You sort of cleared the way here with how to get down to that individual investment plan for leaders. So always appreciate your approach. Always appreciate having a chance for for you and I to get together. We don't always get together, just the two of us on the podcast, but uh, it's been great. Thanks so much. Thank you, Dan. Thank you for listening to the Healthcare Plus podcast. For more information about our upcoming events, visit healthcareplussg.com.